All right, buddy, welcome to the show. Uh, we are packed wall-to-wall today. So we have Donald Trump's first rally of the 2024 campaign season in Waco. Gee, I wonder if there's some symbolism in uh, his decision to choose Waco, Texas. What else happened at Waco? Uh, anyway, we'll get to that. We have um, Bill Maher roasting Ron DeSantis, and Trump enjoyed that so much that he posted that on his Truth Social account. So an interesting crossover episode to get to. And then later on, we have the glorious fake John Fetterman conspiracy theory. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know exactly where they're going with this. Do they think he died and this is a body double? Do they think he's still in the hospital because of depression and this is a body double? Do they think he had like the face-off transplant procedure? Remember that movie, Face Off? So anyway, we'll get to all that and much, much more. So let's go ahead and dive into it here. So um, Donald Trump launched his 2024 presidential campaign with his first rally of the season here. And it is in Waco, Texas. Now, Waco, Texas is a very famous place. And the reason is there was a giant um, cult, the Branch Davidians, that popped up there in the 1990s. You had this guy, David Koresh, who basically said, like, he's the Messiah. He would um, rape the kids of the people who were his followers. And it was not a good situation. They were also involved in uh, dealing arms. Now, they were... Uh, Questionable to say the least. It was bad what was going on there. But then, of course, the federal government got involved, the ATF. They wanted to do this, this bust of the Branch Davidians and, and, you know, get on the front page of all the newspapers and have a career making move. And um, in the process, they ended up basically massacring everybody at the Branch Davidian compound. Um, it's sort of like a go-to example of federal government overreach, um, you know, we certainly didn't have to kill children in order to save children, which is kind of the argument that they go with. Uh, like, hey, what are we going to do? There was there had already been a shootout when they first showed up on the scene, and it was like a month or two standoff, and um, eventually there was a total disaster there. Now, this fueled the rise of anti-government extremism in the 1990s. Um, it was really the original case which helped spark this, these far right, many far right movements. And so it's interesting that Trump picks this place of all places to do his first rally. Now, I mean, it's classic Donald Trump, right? It, he spent a lot of time going after Ron DeSantis, as you would imagine. And um, he did the classic, you know, he showed up at my doorstep. He came to my office with tears in his eyes saying, sir, sir, I'm going to need your help, sir. He had, he was doing terribly in the polls. He had basically nothing. He had no money in the bank, no money at all. And then I endorsed him and he took off like a rocket ship. He did his classic Trump uh, tap dance on that. So we're going to get in a little bit. We'll get to the video of the audience reaction when he's going after DeSantis. Hmm, interesting. Uh, but first, let's start with some other clips. So let's dive into it. Even pick up a tiny piece of that story. Can you believe it? You look at the mainstream media. They don't. They don't talk about it. They're right there. In fact, it was a very big. They don't talk about it. Amazing. You know, it's amazing because when I started, they had a very, very high popularity and approval rating, and now they're lower than Congress. Lower than. I'm very proud of that. I've. I've exposed, but they were never like this. Now they're deranged. They're, and not all of them. I'd say 10% of them are okay, right? But the 10% has, have a very hard time. They have a very hard time. And So just quick comment on this. 
So he's going after the media. Yeah, fake news media, they're terrible. Maybe 10% of them are good, but they're terrible. They're horrible. Like, the problem here is that's a criticism that is actually on its face accurate. Mainstream media does suck. But his solution is to create a bigger problem because he just wants a media that's completely sycophantic to him. Like, that's his perspective. It's like, the media should praise me 24-7 and vanquish my enemies 24-7. And so he would prefer, if all of the media was like One America News or Newsmax, who are the most deranged of all the media outlets, he would love that. So it's funny because this is one of those criticisms where like, you know, even a lefty could listen to it and go, oh, he's right. Mainstream media sucks. Mainstream media is terrible. But you need to understand the devil is in the details and the ways that he would go about, quote unquote, fixing the media would actually make the media significantly worse than it is right now. Nobody can understand why a media would be against things where we want good education for our children, where we want uh, where we want real strong military, where we want low taxes and low regulations and good schools and good. all. It's. I love that. The media is against good schools. They're against low taxes and low regulation. They're against the good education system. All those things are so loaded. By the way, he tried to reform the education system. And what was his idea? Quote unquote, patriotic education. You want to take a stab in the dark what that's like? It's totally lying to people and propagandizing people about our history. They want to bury all the things that are objectively negative and pump up all the things that they think are good. And by the way, in their per- from their perspective, Ronald Reagan was a savior and he was the hero and he was objectively the best president. And that, of course, is demonstrably untrue if you have any reasonable standards. But this is what he means. And he's bragging about low regulations. He's talking about why doesn't the media you know, want low regulations? Well, I mean, we just saw a train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, which was brought about because of uh, lack of regulation. We just saw a bank failure, uh, the Silicon Valley Bank, because Trump repealed the regulations in 2018 that could have prevented that. So it's amazing to me the way that he he talks about this stuff. It's like, it's just, everything is so loaded. His terminology is so loaded. And it's, he has never once in his life straw manned an opposing position. It's a crazy thing that they're fighting against. And uh, for some reason, the radical left, I don't even think they know what they're doing. I think they're probably, they have so much hatred for our side. They don't want to listen to the issues. They don't want to listen to the policy. But it's a very... I love that. Like, the idea that, you know, I would, I'm opposed to Trump, but I would be for Trump if I just looked at his policies. It's like, that's the main reason I'm against you, bro. Like, I actually enjoy his unhinged behavior on Twitter. I think he's hilarious. I think his rallies are phenomenal entertainment. The main reason I'm against you is because of your policies and how terrible they were. It's hilarious. He flips it on his head like, nobody could be against me because of my policies. Nobody could be against me because of that. Really, you increased drone strikes by 400%. You signed a pro-torture executive order. You assassinated a top Iranian commander who was on the ground fighting ISIS. People can't oppose you because of your policies? Are you kidding me? You guys tried to coup Venezuela and you pretended that a guy who wasn't elected president was president, Juan Guaido. I mean, I can go on and on here. One of my uh, facts I always go back to is look at what he did with the predatory payday loan industry. He made it so that the regulations which were supposed to go into effect against that predatory industry were slapped down and the lawsuits that were against them were dismissed. Destroyed the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which was a great agency, one of the best government agencies, which had returned $12 billion to defrauded Americans. And he's acting like you can't oppose him because of policy. Absurd. Anyway, let's continue. 
The last four or five, actually the last month. Last month. Yeah. And put the other ones up. You'll see some numbers that are incredible. You'll see some numbers that are, we just had one today. 69 for Trump and I think 18 or 19 for the sanctimonious. Okay. He's citing here a poll from CatTurd2 on Twitter. It is the least scientific poll that has ever been conducted in human history. CatTurd2, and he posted it. He didn't even make an effort to hide the fact that it was a poll done by CatTurd2 on Twitter. Is it CatTurd2? Is 2 the number at the end of it? I don't even know. This is like right-wing, far-right uh, you know, Twitter figure who Elon Musk sucks up to 24-7. I don't know why these guys are in love with this cat turd guy as if like, I go, for all my serious political thoughts, I go to cat turd too on Twitter. He's citing that as if it's like a scientific poll. Now, by the way, he doesn't even need to do that. There's some actual polls where he's at like 51 or 52%, which is crushing everybody else in the field, including DeSantis. So why would you go to cat turd too to undermine your case? <laughs> this guy is something else, man. Yeah, we were at 69 and one today. But, but if, if I, I never, never fought, fought the Marxists Marxist and the lobbyists and the rhinos and the open border zealots, if I, I never fixed our military and I rebuilt our entire military, we defeated ISIS. We took out al-Baghdadi. We took out Soleimani. He's bragging about killing the Iranian commander. How can you brag? about He was fighting ISIS on the ground, and that nearly sparked World War III. And there were shots back and forth between the uh, pro-Iranian Shia militias and U.S. troops at the time. This is not something to brag about. Our military and gave you the largest tax cut in the history of our country. We gave you the largest. 83% of the benefits of that tax cut went to the top 1% in the long term. That's a fact. That's not an opinion. That bill incentivized outsourcing of American jobs. This is something he pretended to be against. But then when push came to shove, his policies facilitated that. God, it's amazing. Oh, my God, it's so crazy. Regulation regulation cuts cuts in the history of our country. country. That's why our businesses were doing so well. Not now, unfortunately. (laughs) Again, the deregulation led directly to the Silicon Valley bank crash. The deregulation led directly to the train derailment in East Palestine. He's bragging about his biggest failures. It's unbelievable. And by the way, nobody's even going to call him on it. The media is not going to do a good job fact-checking him on it. The Democrats are not going to call out this specific part of his speech. And And none none of of this persecution persecution would have ever happened. In other words, if I didn't do all that, I was leading this life. I didn't know what subpoena meant. Now I'm one of the kings. I know exactly. I can look at the color. I can tell you where that one came from. Well, that's a nice. No. Occam's razor is that you've actually committed a lot of crimes, which is why you keep getting subpoenaed. Anyway, let's continue. Shortly after I win the presidency, I will have the disastrous war between Russia and Ukraine settled. It would never have happened. I used to talk to Putin. I got along well with Putin. I used to talk to Putin about it. It's something he certainly had in his mind. Never even talked about it. For four years, you didn't even hear about it. As soon as I was out or left or however you want to describe that catastrophe, they started putting soldiers on the border. But even then, he didn't want to do it. He wanted to get a piece. Now it looks like he'll end up probably getting the whole thing. But I've never seen anything like it. What's happened? And if you saw the other day with President Xi, smart, top of his game. President Putin, smart, very smart people. 
standing there talking about the world order for the next 100 years. That's one of the saddest things you can imagine. One of the saddest. I'm proud to be the only president in decades who did not start a new war. Everyone said, oh, he's going to start. He's going to start a new war. That is, it's so immensely misleading. Uh, He kept us in Iraq. He kept us in Afghanistan. We actually did go into Syria under him more aggressively, and he admitted we're occupying a third of the country so we can steal their oil. They tried to do a coup in Venezuela as well. He increased the drone war by 400%. So this this brag here, I didn't start any new wars. It's it's so immensely misleading because we already had, you know how we always saw, I rebuilt the military, it was phenomenal. You just saw him say that. We already had 900 military bases before he came into office. He didn't roll those military bases back. He kept it exactly like it was. I had to rebuild our military. It was only bigger than the next 10 largest countries combined already. It was already gigantic. We are the world's sole superpower. We are an imperialist behemoth. And he acts like he was this dove the entire time. Nothing could be further from the truth. What, do you want brownie points because you didn't start World War III or topple the Iranian government or the North Korean government? Is that what you want? And it's it's no no coincidence coincidence that the deep state state is coming coming after me even harder since I pledged to swiftly end the war in Ukraine. So when I say end it, I'm going to get a settlement very quickly. And I know both people, and you can get it very, very quickly. You can only do it through the presidency, but you control the money coming in, coming out. You can get that. I will have that settlement done within 24 hours. I love that. Now, look, I agree with finding some sort of negotiated settlement because the alternative is terrifying continued escalation with two nuclear armed superpowers like so i agree with that but he's not the idea he's going to get a deal in 24 hours is preposterous everybody knows that that's not true everybody knows that's not true and by the way in a different part of the speech he brags about how tough i was on russia i was so tough on russia you have no idea i built up i did a nato build up on their borders i killed their pipeline there was supposed to be a deal with exxon mobil i made sure we armed Ukraine, we gave Ukraine. And by the way, under him, there was a scandal because a lot of those arms were flowing to uh, the Nazis that are in Ukraine. And I remember there was a scandal at the time and Congress cut off the weapons because they were tracked and they were going to Nazis. And then uh, eventually they re-upped that and started sending arms there. And I, I don't know what sort of tracking mechanisms are on it currently because they're, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the weapons are still going to the unsavory factions of Ukraine. But This is something he did. So uh, out of one side of his mouth, he talks about how I'm so tough on Russia. I'm the toughest president you've ever seen on Russia. And then out of the other side of his mouth, he's like, I'll get a deal in 24 hours. I'll be able to make a deal because I'm even-handed. I'll take care of both sides. This is exactly what happened with Israel and Palestine, by the way. He did the exact same thing where he acted like, I'm going to get a deal. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to make sure everybody comes to the table and we'll get that done. We'll get that taken care of. And then, of course, what happened? He was massively, massively biased in favor of Israel. And, you know, they he moved the embassy to Jerusalem, which sparked an international crisis and led to bodies in the streets and all sorts of problems bubbled up as a result of that. And so this I'm going to I'm going to get it done in 24 hours. It's one of those things where, like, it's good politics that he's saying this, but we all know there's no there there. Anyway, now let's get to the main event here, which is the crowd's reaction when Trump goes after Ron DeSantis This is kind of interesting, man. And perhaps it's not the reaction he would have hoped for. 
getting a guy so he gets the nomination because of you. He wins the election because of you. Two years later, the fake news is up there saying, will you run against the president? Will you run? And he says, I have no comment. They say, that's not supposed to happen. I have no comment. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not a big fan, but I love, I love, that's right, he's a disciple of Paul Ryan. He is actually a disciple. That's why he wanted to cut Social Security and Medicare. But I think we're doing really well. I mean, we're up at levels. I don't know if they have them on the screen, but they might put them up on the screen. The polls, the last four or five, actually the last month. And put the other ones up. You'll see some numbers that are incredible. You'll see some numbers that we just had one today. 69 for Trump, and I think 18 or 19 for the Sanctimonious. We were at 69 and one today. But if I never fought the Marxist, then the So, as far as that portion goes, that was one of the flatter parts of the speeches, man, when he's going after DeSantis. It's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. Crystal and I were talking about this the other night. It looks to me like DeSantis is doing what Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, and Ted Cruz tried to do in 2016, which is like, everybody assumed Trump is going to fizzle out, so he's not going to be a factor come the end. And so you just need to be the last person standing. And those guys did it in a way, honestly, that was kind of embarrassing. They were bad at it. And um, even though Ted Cruz was the last man standing, it wasn't enough, right? Now, DeSantis, I think, is doing a better job at that than any of those ghouls did. But ultimately, it's, it still looks like it's not going to be enough because with the uh, prosecution happening, I think that that circles the wagons and gets the right wing base to fall in line and say, the people we don't like are going after the guy we like. So now we're going to support the guy we like even more. So the way the national scene is unfolding is such that it, it doesn't bode well for DeSantis. But having said that, he is doing better. It's almost like no matter how much Trump goes after him, he's not imploding to nothingness. He's not imploding to zero or 10%. He's still, even in the worst polls, he's at 20%, right? So there's plenty of people who like Trump who are going to vote for Trump who are still like, I still kind of like like DeSantis, right? They view him as like the future of the party. So it's interesting because Trump's been unleashing with everything he's got on DeSantis. DeSantis is still hanging in there. But having said that, it looks as of right now like Trump is a, back to being a colossal favorite. But it is funny that at his rallies, even going after DeSantis, it falls kind of flat, right? Like, it's not the same sort of... I feel like if you go back and look at... And maybe we'll do this one day. You go back and look at his rallies when he's going after all the other Republicans, Little Marco, Low Energy Jeb, right? That Those are like some of the biggest lines of the night in the rally. And the DeSantis attack was one of the flatter parts of it. Again, that's not to say that Trump is not crushing DeSantis right now in the polls, because he is. But it is to say that it's not landing as much as Trump would hope for it to land. So anyway, we'll see what happens moving forward. But um, classic Trump-style rally, Waco, Texas. Uh, he's back out there. He's doing his thing. And um, it'll be interesting to watch it unfold. All right, guys, so Bill Maher roasted Ron DeSantis, and Trump enjoyed it so much that he actually shared the clip. 
And this is Trump sharing a clip from a guy who he absolutely despises. He hates him so much he sued him over a joke. Trump sued Bill Maher over a joke. But anyway, let's go ahead and dive into it and we'll break it down as we go here. I think liberals, they just, they, they make a real effort not to understand the Trump voter. And, um, you know, it's like, oh, DeSantis is going to be great because he's, it's Trumpism without Trump. And I think they're like, why would we want a tribute band? <laughs> When the actual band is still playing. So that's the clip I think Trump shared. Now, by the way, fair point. (laughs) All right, I think that's a fair point. It is true that DeSantis is like diet Donald Trump. He's Donald Trump minus 20 or 30 charisma points. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I will say this, though. I think the bigger factor is the whole victim complex thing and the persecution thing. So in other words, in the right-wing base mind, they think the liberals are going after our guy, so he must be the best at fighting the liberals and triggering the liberals. It's the whole circle the wagons mentality. If they're still going after him, he must be doing something right. The people we hate, the people we despise, hate Trump the most, so that means we're going to love Trump the most. Now, look, uh, DeSantis has still hung in there. Even in his worst poll, he's at like 20%, which is way better than... Marco Rubio or Jeb Bush or any of the other goons who tried to topple Trump in 2016 and failed miserably. He's even doing better than Ted Cruz did, and Ted Cruz was second to Trump. But honestly, just the way national politics are unfolding right now, there's a reason why Trump has such a gigantic lead. He is the show. He is the show. He has an amazing ability to keep the cameras on him. And it's the victim thing. It's the persecution thing. And um, DeSantis just can't compete with that at the moment. 100%. Yes, DeSantis can fill a room, but he can fill it with the kind of energy you want to then leave the room. Like, he's he does not have the warmth. But on top of it, the thing that... So I I went back a couple weeks ago. Do you guys remember the first debate in 2015? It's August 2015, right? And so the everybody's like, what what the hell is about to happen? So they did the junior debate first. It was the seven Republicans who didn't get to, like, 5%. Then they bring them all out. It's 10 guys. The first question... To all 10 of them was, who will raise their hand and say that they won't support the nominee, no matter who it is? Trump raises his hand and the crowd boos. They, I mean, a lusty boo. <laughs> and it's like watching the, the five seconds before Pompeii goes off. Before the, <laughs> because the, what then happens is they're booing and Trump, not a word, gives a gesture. He gives the Trump face, which is like, are you fucking kidding me? These jokers around me. Right. And you can actually hear... The crowd turned from a boo to a, to right. a shriek of joy because he's the transgressor. He's yeah. Johnny Rotten of the Republican Party. You will not find anybody who delivers for those he, guys better than him. He's why there's a certain clique in high school, and you don't understand why are they the cool kids? They have confidence, and the rest of us are insecure. I don't think that's going. Uh, I wouldn't say confidence. I'd say he he's probably also deeply insecure, but he has arrogance which overrides it. It's like a fake confidence. It's an over-the-top confidence. He's narcissistic. He's got a massive, massive ego that guides his every move. But here we have a dissenter. Hold on. Again, that worked for a long time. Livers for those guys better than him. He's why there's a certain clique in high school, and you don't understand, why are they the cool kids? They have confidence, and the rest of us are insecure. I don't think that's going to work again. That worked for a long time. He's got an amazing charisma, that kind of towel-snapping business that he does. But 
a hard time believing that there isn't a critical mass of people who wouldn't go for somebody who believes in the sorts of things that he unfortunately believes in, but also seems like he would rule as a grown-up. I mean, it all gets back to the question of electability, right? Is the Republican Party, is the base going to wake up and realize, hey— Trump was a liability in 2018, 2020, and 2022. The most Trumpy candidates in 2022 were the ones who lost the biggest. The most non-Trumpy, more establishment Republican candidates won and won pretty easily. So the lack of a red wave is directly because of Donald Trump, is directly because of the stop the steal nonsense, is directly because his candidates were extreme. Carrie Lake, Doug Mastriano, that guy was at January 6th. Carrie Lake is an election denier now for her own election. I mean, so... If the Republican base cares at all about electability, then if anything, you're going to see like a secret DeSantis vote out there. You know how in 2016 there was a secret Trump vote? If the base cares about electability at all, there would be a secret DeSantis vote where he would outperform his polls by 5%, 10%, whatever it is. But all of the evidence as of right now, as we're seeing it, Trump just gained an even bigger lead because uh, he's going to potentially face criminal charges and they're circling the wagons and protecting their guy. It's almost like DeSantis would be better off if there were no charges at all, right? And the media just sort of ignored the Trump show. Then I think DeSantis would be doing well. Um, Or if we're already through the process and Trump's in jail behind bars and there's like nothing, you know, he can't control the show from behind bars, right? And then DeSantis would be better off. But this middle ground where we're at right now, where he's being prosecuted and we have to go through the process It's like, that's the one area where it almost doesn't matter what DeSantis does and he's screwed. So I think that um, this guy right here, what's his name? John McOrder, I think it is. Anyway, he's like, I don't know how he would describe his politics, but he strikes me as like a centrist, maybe a center-right kind of guy. And he seems more like, I'm the more responsible conservative type. And those types, the educated conservatives are more pro-DeSantis. But the base, the heart of the base is still with Trump. And, you know, Bill Maher's point, sort of true the whole why would they want the tribute band when they can have the original so trump loved that so much that he shared it which says something i have never seen a national political environment so wild i really haven't so you got the republican base falling in line behind trump yet again because you know the liberals are coming after him and they're uh they're prosecuting him and he may get arrested and so that's making the republican base fall in line, circle the wagon, support their guy. But an interesting development, which we've seen evolve over the past month or so, is that conservative media is abandoning Trump more than I've ever seen them do it before. So you have most of the Fox News hosts are supporting DeSantis, either explicitly or like quietly, right? Um, And clearly there was some directive from Rupert Murdoch at the top where he's like, that's it, we're done with this guy. And so now look at this in Mediate. Murdoch's New York Post goes after, quote, deranged Trump with bonkers front page torching Trump over death threat. Okay, so here's what they say. Rupert Murdoch's New York Post went after former President Donald Trump over his threats and connected them to a death threat against Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. So that guy Alvin Bragg, who's bringing the charges against Trump, um, he's getting death threats now, which is not surprising. Like, it's like you almost expect it. But to have Trump fan the flames of the fire repeatedly and on purpose, well, that's something where even conservative media is like, you know what? You know what? Step too far. 
Trump has been whipping up a frenzy over Bragg's investigation around hush money payments to Stormy Daniels and reports Trump's indictment and arrest could be imminent. After several escalations, Trump upped the ante yet again in a late night social media post by warning of death and destruction if he's charged. And on Friday, Trump deleted a post that featured juxtaposed images of Bragg and Trump wielding a baseball bat shortly after Bragg received a a threat on his life in the mail. Now, my guess is attorneys to Trump were like, hey, man, are you crazy? You have to delete that. This is not helping you. This would hurt your defense by doing something like this. And so he deleted it. And it wasn't an instance where, like, previously he's deleted stuff to only make the post worse. (laughs) He did that with DeSantis, where he basically accused him of maybe being gay. And then he made it like, actually, you're a gay groomer. (laughs) So he, like, deleted the post and made it more inflammatory. This one, he just deleted it. On Saturday, the post rolled out a cover that connected Trump to the death threat featuring the bat photo. The cover headline blared, bat hit crazy. With the subhead, deranged Trump threatens violence against Bragg, who gets death note. Deranged Trump. This is the New York Post. This is Murdoch owned. Same guy who owns Fox News. This is the heart of right wing media. And they look like they've had enough. Wow. So here's the picture. Deranged Trump threatens violence against Bragg, who gets death note. Bat hit crazy. And then you can see Trump had posted this right here. Posted that. Him with a baseball bat next to Alvin Bragg. In their article on the threat against Bragg, the Post similarly connected the incident to Trump. So here's what the article says. A pair of bomb threats were called into the courthouse earlier this week, delaying the proceedings, uh, delaying the proceedings once, although it was unclear if they were connected to Trump's case. The powder was found hours after Trump threatened Bragg with death and destruction. Geez, there was powder? This was a real death threat. If the former uh, president is indicted in New York City over hush money payments to porn star Stormy Daniels in 2016 during his first campaign for the White House, Trump deleted the post after the threatening letter and after a backlash that included the Drudge Report, another very conservative outlet, running a headline on Friday that read, Psycho Don threatens Manhattan District Attorney. The deleted post is just the latest in a series of threats, incitements, and attacks that have included calling Bragg, who is black, an animal, and calling on supporters to protest, while also deriding the idea that they should be expected to remain peaceful. So look, I mean, it's a wee bit devastating, isn't it? Like, the same thing that happened around January 6th. He incites, he incites, he incites, he goes just up to that line, then he backs off a little bit to have plausible deniability to say, who, what, me? I don't know what you're talking about. We've been totally on the side of peace every step of the way. I don't even know what you mean. But when even conservative, Republican-leaning outlets are going, hey, man, hey, man, you might want to reel it in a little bit. That's something, man. That's something. So we're in a weird place. By the way, I think this is one of the things you can attribute to DeSantis' numbers sort of having a floor, is that clearly right-wing media prefers him now, and so that makes it so that he can't dip below a certain percentage point, whereas with like, whereas with Marco Rubio, with Jeb Bush, with those types, there was no bottom. I mean, those guys just imploded. Whereas DeSantis has some, some powerful backers, and I think they're sort of propping him up. Now, look, don't get it twisted. Trump is in at like 50% in many polls now, and DeSantis is at like 20%. That's his lowest, but um, honestly, in the past, you would expect to see DeSantis already down at 5%, 4%, whatever it is, just totally imploding, and you haven't seen it. And I think one of the main reasons why is this right here. 
establishment Republican backing and establishment Republicans now sort of slowly but surely going after Trump. They're trying to build like a sly electability case um, for DeSantis and against Trump. But as of right now, I mean, maybe you could say it's making it so DeSantis holds on in the polls, but certainly Trump still has a crushing, crushing lead. And uh, we're in uncharted territory, man. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. Crystal and I were talking about it. There is no good ending to what we're seeing. Because think about it. So if Trump loses the primary, he's not going to go away. He's going to accuse the Republicans of rigging the election, DeSantis of rigging the election. Um, and actually, he'll run as like an independent or something in the, in the presidential race, in the general election. But then he'll say that that was rigged too, even though he'll get like 9% of the vote or some insanely low number, right? Um, so in that scenario... He tries to destroy the system. I guess that's the least bad of all the scenarios because then the Republicans would lose and Trump would have his worst performance, but he would still try to take the system down with him in that scenario. Now, think of the other scenarios. He wins the primary and he gets to the general. He potentially loses in the general, right? Likely to lose in the general. Well, then it, we're right back to January 6th type stuff. We're right back to stop the steel rigged election. And this time he's even more deranged and more psychotic and more unhinged because it's the second time. And so he acts like, no, I'm just going to try to like steal this thing in an even more brazen and overt way. Or he wins the primary and he wins the general, in which case then we have Trump again for four years, which is, it's un oh God, I don't know how we could take it. So anyway, we're looking into, uh, looking at other countries, <laughs> seeing, seeing what the deal is, seeing, uh, have some contingency plans in case, in case, um, the shit hits the fan. So it's just, there's no good ending, man. There's no good ending. It's going to be. It's going to be remarkably unstable. The system is not stable right now and would be even less, less so with any scenario as long as Trump is in the race. And clearly, he's in the race. So Cenk and Anna of the Young Turks had a very heated debate the other day. Um, the title here is Cenk and Anna Debate how to talk to right-wingers. So, look, I want to go through all 23 minutes of this, but, you know, we don't have the time and there's so many other stories to get to. So I picked, like, the juiciest part and we're going to react to the juiciest part here. But I will tell you this. So the genesis of this debate was Jenk saying the line, Republicans love criminals. Now, it was in the context of talking about Trump and, like, how Trump's numbers have gone up since, you know, it was announced that he's probably going to be indicted and arrested and prosecuted. And um, so he uses that to then argue Republicans love criminals. And Anna took issue with that because from her perspective, she's saying, look, that's a gross generalization. It's hyperbolic on purpose. And what you're doing is going after rank and file Republican voters whose minds can be changed and you're just alienating them and pushing them further away from the left when you make arguments like that. And her point was, hey man, go after Republican elites like the politicians and you know, try to be more constructive when criticizing the actual voters, the base. Okay, so that's the, the background story. Um, now that had happened on a previous show and then they decided let's do another segment where we sort of debate this topic uh, on the next show. And so that's where we are here. We're about 13 minutes and 30 seconds into the debate, and uh, we'll watch the rest and react to it. Democratic establishment in San Francisco endorsing this guy, one could argue, right? I would, I would say it's inaccurate. One could argue the left loves crime. 
But the left doesn't love crime. No, but but all right. So just, just sorry, just to brush you up on the point she's making here, she's saying, "Hey, Jank, that generalization you made about Republican voters, you can make the same generalization about Democratic voters." Because here's some, you know, some DA who was dismissive of the fact that some local reporter was robbed and was very smug about it. And Anna's like, so if we want to generalize about Democrats now, Democratic voters, you can say, you know, the left loves crime. Is that fair? So that's the point she's making. That is a mischaracterization. But those leftists uh, there, I think, are extreme. And yeah, they they think crime is not that big but a deal. They say it all the time. Representative of all left wing voters. Of course not. But that's my that's point. point. So I just look. All I'm asking for is specificity, right? And I'm also asking for you know just stay away from hyperbole and needlessly making blanket statements about whole swaths of the population. No, but Anna, so that's we're not the getting, problem. We're I not have. getting to the heart of the problem. So okay. they, look, the, the Republicans, generally speaking, and not just generally speaking, I give you specific examples, are the aggressors, right? So we we didn't just pass hundreds of laws against straight people in the country. They just passed hundreds the of laws. The politicians, and we should fight them, Jank. Do you think the Republican voters were against those laws? Be honest. Jank, I mean, what do they hear? Constant libs of TikTok, constant propaganda that's meant to scare them about the others. You know this. I know, but Anna, so what do we do? Because we can't just go, okay, okay is, hey, you know what? Uh, let's, no, let's throw gay not, people that is not what I'm suggesting. I know you're not suggesting that. So I'm asking, what do we do? Okay, so do you think that you persuade them? By saying, you guys are stupid, you guys love crime, you guys are hateful. Ordinary people, are you persuading them or are you just First releasing all, you know, no, the emotional no, no, frustration no, that I also feel no, myself? No, this is super important and this is a good question and it has a very good answer. So we are in a political battlefield. We have to win on these elections so we can win on the bills because they're winning the elections and winning the bills. And they're actually passing laws saying that gay people are so evil, we can't have innocent kids hear about their existence, okay? Right. So I cannot let that stand. So how do you win? You win by winning the middle, the middle, okay? So that's why sometimes when the left goes extreme, that doesn't help winning the middle, okay? And, and it's you have to look at the polling to see what people actually want. They defunded the police, you poll it in African American neighborhoods and it polls terribly. Don't tell me that they want it when they don't want it. That's what you're talking about. And that's the elite saying, oh, this is what the people want. It's right. not true. But when you're talking about winning the middle, you have to say, yeah, if you're on that side, it's not okay. It's not normal. It's not, hey, 50-50, should we hate the gays or should we not hate the gays? No, if you hate people for who they are, you're a bit of a monster. I know you got turned into a monster by right-wing media and propaganda and, and let's be honest, religion, etc. Okay, but people don't like honesty. So we're stuck, we're stuck. I don't think but in terms of the stuck. middle, no, I don't want you to think as every stupid Democrat has done my entire life, it could be, could be. Maybe you should hate black people and Latinos and immigrants and gays and all these people. I don't want to offend Republican voters. I don't want to offend them. Okay, so I, I gotta be a warrior for that. And Anna, you're a warrior for that. And you're an awesome warrior for that. I know. I but direct my ire toward those in power, Jenk. Because I believe, look, I mean, like, look at Florida as a perfect example. They elected Obama twice, 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 twice. Look at look at Florida now, right? Obviously, people can be persuaded, and you give up too easily. Like you just do. We have policy ideas that are appealing across the aisle. Period. 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 But all of the focus by the mainstream Democratic Party is because they're paid by their donors, and they don't actually want to push for the economic policies that would be popular. They they dive into the culture wars too, right? Yeah. So it's like this endless, like you're bad, no, you. You're bad, you're a terrible person, you're a terrible person. I'm not saying you don't fight the right wing power players, you absolutely do. But if we're to have anyone outside of our political group be receptive to the popular policy ideas that we have, we can't persuade them by immediately attacking them and writing them off as all bad people. You guys are all bad people, you guys all love crime, you all love this, you all love that. Just doesn't make sense to me. And I disagree with your theory of change. The whole thing about winning over the middle, that is what elections have been about for decades. 
for decades. No, no, but they have a false middle. Their middle is, oh, uh, bipartisan compromise that we should give billions more to corporations, and that's the middle of the country. That ain't the middle of the country. The middle of the country is an average guy, average woman working their ass off, exactly. barely making it, exactly. etc. Right. So we, address, I address the actual middle as opposed to the Democratic Party. Look. Here's my solution, and this is what I've been doing to the best of my ability and often very wrongly, I'm sure, right? But I play both defense and offense. So if you're gonna attack people, we're going to defend them, period, okay? At the same time, and this is what none of the rest of the Democratic Party do. Bernie does it a little bit, Justice Democrats do it a tiny bit, but yeah, but, but a Democrats tiny, do tiny, tiny. Yeah. Okay, okay, what you have to do is play offense on economic issues. Yes. Do you want higher wages or do you want the Republican plan of lower wages? Do you want health care or don't you want health care? For God's sake, this is the one thing Anna and I agree most on. Play offense on economic issues. And look, right wing, let me just say this. I don't mind if you hate me. And I and I I'm gonna fight you and you're gonna fight me, okay? On these cultural war issues, it probably lasts the rest of our lifetime, okay? But can we just agree on things that are not culture war issues? Don't you want higher wages in healthcare? And I know some of you say, no, not if it means working with a lib. And by the way, some of us say, not if it means working with a bigot, a racist, a homophobe, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So both sides fight the culture wars either now or later. But you have to fight together, together on economic issues where the people at the top, the donors, are crushing the living crap out of both of us. Let's stop the robbery first. And then we can go back to fighting. How do you get people to work together when the beginning of that proposal is, we hate you guys, we think you're stupid, we think you love- They criminals. hate us, you think they don't no, hate they us? they do hate us, they do yeah, hate so us. Yeah, so what I'm but saying is it's okay, hate us, we hate you, but let's work together so, so we don't get robbed. The right. guy's walking away with the freaking money, let's stop the robbery first. So it's just an honest way of dealing with it. Instead of saying like, oh my God, maybe you guys are right about X, Y, or Z. No, I never no. said that, Jay. I, I know, never want the, the, the straw. Okay, that is a straw man. That for is you. A, no. You love straw manning. You love it. I'm trying to be as fair as possible during this conversation. You're intentionally misrepresenting what I'm saying here. Obviously, I don't agree with the hateful rhetoric. I don't like any of it. Okay, but there, it's really interesting to me that when you had a candidate like Obama who ran on hope and change, who ran on economic issues, all of these people who are now enamored with Donald Trump actually voted for Obama. Gee, I wonder why that is. Could it be that in lieu of a candidate that actually represents their economic interests, they just go for the cult of personality who owns the libs. That is what happens, that is our political landscape right now. So we can continue attacking ordinary people that we disagree with. And to be sure, I do disagree with them. But we have to also, more importantly, if you ask me, focus on the systems that has created this mess in the first place. And sometimes I feel like the focus isn't where it needs to be. That's yeah, all I'm saying. All right, super last thing on it. Look, Anna's again, not wrong about the facts. So Obama, when he came into office, had around an 80% approval rating. So if the whole country was racist or all Republicans were racist, why was his approval rating that high? Why did he win a whole bunch of red states, right? So it's if you think the only answer is racism, bigotry, etc., you're wrong. The facts do not merit, do not prove out your thesis, okay? Right. So, but if you think that problem doesn't exist, well, you're probably not on the left anyway. Of course it exists, right? And of course it applies to some people, but whether it's the majority or half of Republicans or a third of Republicans, I don't know. But I do know that whatever percentage of Republicans that is, they're winning their primaries, they're winning general elections, and they're passing laws that enforce their hatred of us onto all of society, right? Whereas our side can't play defense or offense. So I'm trying to help on both fronts, but I'm sure very imperfectly so. And it's a good conversation, it'll continue probably for years. So Michael Brooks had a great quote, be kind to people, be ruthless to systems. Um, and that's the, the crux of this debate is that, right? Because from Anna's perspective, she feels like Jenk is too hard and on and too dismissive of 
right-wing voters who may have been propagandized into believing absolute garbage, and instead of trying to constructively um, sort of deprogram them and get them out of that, you make them hate you more and you make them double down more when you say things like, Republicans love criminals. Because then they're going to they're gonna circle the wagons, they're going to get defensive, they're going to say, that's not a fair categorization of what I believe. And Anna makes the point, like, I don't know if you saw it in this clip, but she makes the point of like, obviously the argument they would make is not that Donald Trump is a criminal and I like I like him because he's a criminal. They would argue, no, he's a victim of a witch hunt and it's the establishment in the deep state targeting him. And they're doing that because he's an outsider. He's not part of the club and he busts up business as usual and all those things. So that's what they would, to steel man their position, that's what they would say. So I guess I definitely lean more in the pro Anna direction in this debate because the way you handle that is to, so accurately understand what their position is and then respond to their actual position instead of smugly saying, you just love criminals. And so the way to deconstruct that would be to show this guy isn't an outsider. He's not anti-establishment. He's a billionaire. He's part of the club. All of his policy proposals were pro-establishment. His biggest legislative accomplishment was a tax cut, which was $2 trillion to the wealthy, 83% of the benefits went to the top 1%. He ran as the anti-outsourcing guy, but then there were 200,000 jobs that were outsourced under him. So if you steel man the opposition and then address their specific concerns, there's some percentage of them that you're going to make them go, oh, okay, well, that's a fair point. You know, I, I never thought of it from that perspective. But if you just flippantly and glibly and smugly say, you just love criminals, well, they're going to be like, I hate Jank Uger, and you are not being fair. You're not being kind. You're not accurately restating my position to me. And so, ultimately, I think I think Anna's more correct. You know, can you find examples of Republicans who will say, "Yes, I know Trump did it, but I also still like him." So, at least in this specific instance, I <laughs> like a criminal. Yeah, you'll find some like that, but those are the ones we'd put in the category of TFG, the too far gones. But I guess the debate here is what percentage are actually TFG and what percentage are are not? What percentage are savable? To Anna's point, there was, I think, 9 million voters who voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump. Obviously, with those specific people, you can't say it's the racism, it's the bigotry, it's the xenophobia. Like, that's why they voted for Trump. Um so, look, it's a complex conversation. I like this debate that they had. To steel man Jenks' position, he would argue, I'm making a point that's mean and tough, but true, he would say. And if anything, he could say, I'm sort of trying to give him like a tough love perspective. Like, hey, man, wake up, snap out of it. You love criminals? Is that who you want to be? You know, you say you're a law and order guy, but ultimately you're defending a criminal who there's all the evidence in the world he is a criminal. So it's like, wakey, wakey, like snap out of it. And I mean, I guess my only issue with that would be, I just think Anna's approach is more effective. And it's the approach I try to take on this show, right? Which is the real problem are the political elites. Basically 100% of the Republican politicians and like, 80 to 85% of the Democratic politicians. Like, that's the problem. The problem is the system. The problem are the incentive structures in the system. And, you know, I may disagree with my neighbor on a whole host of issues. 
But at the end of the day, if you really get down to it, I think they would honestly say, some conservative neighbor, I just want what's best for everybody. I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to be healthy. Um, and I want everybody to feel fulfilled. And so then the question becomes, well, how do we get to that point? Which brings us full circle to where they're both right, which is, look, Florida in the 2020 election voted for Trump over Biden, but 60% of Florida voters voted to raise the minimum wage in a direct ballot initiative. So what that tells you is, once you get down to the specific issues, yeah, the left ideas are overwhelmingly popular. So in other words, it's a colossal failing of... Democratic politicians um, and liberals and leftists, it's a colossal failure for us not to be able to bridge the gap and tell people, we are offering exactly what you want anyway, right? If the overwhelming majority want to raise the minimum wage, the overwhelming majority want higher taxes on the rich, the overwhelming majority want universal health care, the overwhelming majority want paid time off. Like we can go down the list. The overwhelming majority want to get money out of politics and then the corruption. So if on paper, so many people are already with us, then I would say, yes, the onus is on us to sort of deprogram them, um, defeat the propaganda and make them understand like, this is the solution and we can work together on the solution. And all the other stuff is just noise. All the other stuff is just a distraction. You know, the, the culture war stuff is just, it, it's intentional to try to get people who would agree and have the same class interest to beat each other's throats while the rich run out the back door with all the money. And so ultimately, I definitely agree more with Anna's position. I think there might be some percentage of Republicans where Jenks, you know, sort of tough perspective on the Republican voter might actually shake them out of it and wake them up. But I think you'll probably deconvert more people by um, sort of very carefully treating their arguments, steel manning their perspectives, and then responding to the steel man with facts and with good arguments. And the thing is, like, I think Jenk is is a great communicator and he would be able to steel man a right-wing perspective. He used to be a Republican. He could steel man, uh, you know, a right-wing voter's perspective and then deconstruct that steel man argument. And by the way, that's also more fun. It is less fun to just straw man your opponent and act like you're just a total idiot and like, I don't need to take the time to address every concern you have. No, you can do it. And if you do it, you'll have a higher deconversion rate but I think, you know, ultimately you just do the best you can and take it from there. And so I think I agree more with Anna's perspective. And that's why she she got very triggered when, when Jank made the point, like, Republicans just love criminals. Because it's like, yeah, the, then the right will fire back and say, well, you lefties um, love, love criminals even more because there's some left-wing activists who are in favor of defund the police. And it's like, if you hear that argument, as somebody on the left, you would never accept it because you would say, do you even know what that means? Like, have you read any of the literature on defund and what they're actually saying, what they're actually arguing for? And when you get into the specifics, you realize it's not agree or disagree with it. And I don't like the slogan either. But it's not a crazy position because they're just saying, take a cer- certain percentage of the police budget and put it more towards like crisis rescue teams, people who are trained in psychology and psychiatry and can talk people down when they're going through a crisis. In other words, in some instances, maybe the first line of defense shouldn't be somebody showing up with a gun where it raises the stakes and maybe somebody can end up dead. Maybe it should be a mental health professional. Like that's what people mean when they say defund. And you could straw man it from a right wing perspective and say, oh, you guys just love criminals. But that's not fair. That's a straw man of the left position. It's not accurate. You haven't engaged honestly with with the actual position 
of the left on that. And so in the same way, we like dismiss somebody on the right for being that smug and and straw manning left wing beliefs. The right is going to do that when people on the left do a similar thing. And so we have to be better than that. We have to rise above that. We have to have an honest discourse and dialogue and sort of um, try to get people to to where you're at. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But at least then at the end of the day, you can say, hey, man, I engaged honestly 100% of the time. I got into all the details and all the specifics, all the nooks and crannies. I didn't at any time, you know, um, not treat the other position seriously. And so I think I think that's the best approach. So I'm definitely more uh, team Anna on this front. And I think if Cenk adopts, um, you know, Anna's perspective on this and, and implements it, I actually think he'd be really, really good at... Um, at converting gigantic swaths of people. I mean, he probably already has converted uh, gigantic swaths of people. I'm, I'm certain of it, but I think he could deconvert even more uh, by taking that more careful, nuanced approach where you steel man the right-wing voter perspective and then react to it and and try to convince them. But, you know, again, final point, and the total point of agreement between all of us is that you have to be ruthless to the system and ruthless to the elites ruthless because they're the problem you know even though it you know they're the problem because of the incentive structure and how corrupt the system is you go after the system you go after the corrupt politicians you go after the elites no holds barred you know and everybody else treat carefully and treat with respect and treat with somebody that in a year they might be totally on your side because they might be All right, guys, this video here, it hasn't gone viral, but I'm kind of surprised it hasn't gone viral. I, I totally expected it to go mega viral. So there's a news anchor in India who just absolutely roasted the U.S. and our hypocrisy when it comes to foreign policy and human rights. And I wanted to share it with you and we'll we'll break it down. It's that time of the year again. The U.S. has released its annual human rights report. Human rights in other countries, of course. The report is out, and nothing in it stands out, except for the breathtaking hypocrisy of America. It talks about Russian war crimes in Ukraine. It talks about Iran's crackdown on anti-hijab protesters, China and its treatment of Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang, the horrors of the Myanmar military. It covers pretty much every country in the world, including India, and it shows how America is stuck in a time warp. It still sees itself as a sole superpower and it's still tone deaf. The section about India is almost the same as the last year. Paragraphs have been lifted almost verbatim from the 2021 report. The only new criticism seems to be the bulldozing of homes. The rest remains the same. And just like last year, most nations are likely to refute this report, which begs the question, why make it at all? And this is not some random American report we're talking about. This one comes from the US State Department. It has the government stamp of approval. It is a report on all countries receiving American assistance and all United Nations member states. These reports are submitted to the U.S. Congress, and this is legally mandated by the Foreign Assistance Act of 1961 and the Trade Act of 1974. You could say the American law mandates that they sit in judgment of the world. Now, how accurate are these reports? Depends on who you ask. Look at the case of Saudi Arabia, a long-standing ally of the U.S., but not towing Washington's line off late. How does America get Riyadh back in line? 
Just bring up their human rights record. And for a country that has appointed itself the class monitor on human rights, how does America's own record look? You won't find the answers in this report because the US chose not to include itself. Now, ideally, India or any of these other countries should be releasing a report on human rights in the US. But they don't. They don't go beyond the odd word of condemnation. So we decided to do the honours. Here's a report on human rights in the US. We'll start with the most recent controversy. The Biden administration wanted to share details of Russian war crimes with the International Criminal Court. Guess who blocked it? The Pentagon. The reason? The Pentagon was afraid that it would set a precedent, a precedent for American war crimes to be probed in the same court. And I'm not making this up. The Pentagon is so afraid of what war crime trials will lead to that it won't allow the ICC to prosecute Russia, its own enemy. It makes me wonder just how horrific the US military's actions have been over the years. And speaking of the US military, the world is again talking about the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. It's been 20 years. The two nations have been devastated. And now this video has gone viral. It's from 2020. It shows a U.S. war veteran confronting Joe Biden. Just listen to him. I'm going to skip past this part because you can't really hear what they say. But basically, the gist of it is this guy tells Joe Biden he has blood on his hands. The story gets worse when you focus on human rights. A certain Guantanamo Bay episode comes to mind. It's the infamous offshore torture chamber operated by the U.S. and Cuba. They call it Gitmo. The images of abuse shocked the world. America promised to shut it down, but it hasn't. And why do they have it in Cuba? Because such torture is not allowed on American soil, so they do it anyway in Cuba. And they don't mention it in the human rights report featuring Cuba either. We wonder why. Also speaking of torture, we are reminded of Abu Ghraib. It was a prison in Iraq where locals were tortured. The images sent shockwaves through the world, a blinding testimony of how America honors human rights. Did the perpetrators face justice? How many high-ranking officials were allowed to go scot-free? How about an annual report on this? And I can go on. There's ingrained racism and police brutality, the gun terror. It's the only country in the world where you're more likely to be killed by a teenager than a terrorist. Children are shot dead in schools in America. There are dystopian gender controls like the abortion law. How is all of this not an affront to human life and dignity? And look, the US is free to make its annual human rights report. But these reports are not made with the aim of fixing any of this. America is weaponizing human rights and it's appalling. It reeks of U.S. hypocrisy. I mean, there's nothing to disagree with there, right? It's just totally accurate. Our approach is if you are on our team or if you're us, we get a pass. We get to do whatever we want to do. And it's okay because we have defined ourselves as the good guy from the jump. And so by definition, whatever we're doing, we have good intentions and we're benign. We're the good guy. And so if you have to color outside the lines, bend the law a little bit, you know, it, it is what it is. It's fine because we mean well. So it's OK. That's the perspective. And so you can overlook 
rampant wars of aggression where hundreds of thousands of innocent people were killed. You can overlook torture. You can overlook anything with this mindset. And us and our allies get a total pass. You know, and it was a good point you made about Saudi Arabia there. It's like, well, now we're freeing ourselves up a little bit to be a little more honest about Saudi Arabia's human rights record. Why? Because they're stepping out of line. They're acting up. They're not listening to the U.S. They're making, you know, alliances with with Russia and China now. And so all of a sudden it's like, ooh, have you seen their human rights record? Well, you weren't, weren't saying a goddamn word about it at the height of their atrocities when we were arming them, we were funding them. We still are doing that, by the way, as they committed genocide in Yemen. We had nothing to say about it. So really what this report is, is a weapon, right? It's, it's used as a political weapon to make countries fall in line behind us as the world's sole superpower. That's what it is. Now, understand something, guys. Not only would I be fine with a report like this, I would actively support it if it was actually honest and it took into account every single country and their crimes, including our own. I would support it because I want to know where the human rights violations are happening. I want to know where there are war crimes being committed. I want to know where there's genocide. I want to know where there's restrictions on civil liberties. I want to know all these things. It's super important to be educated on the way the systems work around the world and react accordingly and try to change things for the better, however we can for the people in those respective countries, trying to change their own countries. Um, But honestly, it would be better if you're not going to do an honest report talking about everybody's crimes, then just don't do any report at all. Right. Like those are the only two honest perspectives, the perspective of like, look, our business is our business. Everybody else's business is their own business. Hands off approach. We got no control over you guys. You're sovereign. You got no control over us. We're sovereign. So we're just not going to we're not going to make a big fuss about human rights and civil liberties and justice and all this stuff. That's an honest position. The other honest position is let's take a true accounting of criminals around the world of state terror around the world. Let's do that for real. Either one of those positions are the only honest positions. Then there's the middle ground, which is everybody's actual position, which is, since we're the world's superpower, we give ourselves a full pass. Everybody else, we're going to be harshly critical, you know? And by the way, other countries do this as well. It just... There's less of a spotlight on it because they have less power globally because we're still the world's sole superpower and we have a way bigger military than everybody else, right? But every other country does this too, you know? Like, here, let's talk about human rights issues with our official state enemies and, you know, overlook our own because we meant well and when we did it, it didn't really count for reasons X, Y, and Z. Well, look, I'm here to tell you it counts for everybody. And um, I think Noam Chomsky was 100% correct when he said that famous line that if the Nuremberg laws were upheld, every post-World War II U.S. president would be hanged. I think that's accurate. Um, but we don't like to think of it that way. You know, people here don't like to think of, it, think of it that way. The idea, this sentence, even your average American would shudder at the thought, but when you say, in many instances, we are the terrorists, whoo, they don't like that. They don't like that. Uh, but look, it's true. When you do illegal wars, when you do an illegal drone war, when you do torture, when you have rampant, illegal, and unconstitutional NSA spying collecting metadata on all of your citizens, things like that, 
if you're going to do a report, stuff like that has to be taken into account. And by the way, you should actually have to address it. We have zero moral credibility on the national scene when we say, hey, Russia did an illegal and offensive invasion against Ukraine, a country that didn't attack them. That's wrong. It's kind of hard to make that case when we did the same thing in Iraq. It's kind of hard to make that case when to this day we're trying to do, or at least until very recently, we're trying to do a coup in Venezuela. We just pretended that a guy who wasn't elected president was president. Who gave us the authority to do that? I'm actually in favor of international law. I'm one one of few people who is. I believe in law and order internationally. Um, But in order to do that, we have to be subject to the exact same laws. We're not a nation above nations. We're a nation among nations, and it should be treated as such. You know, the general approach, which makes the most sense, is the international community can get involved and try to right wrongs whenever there's severe crimes such as genocide, but it can't be done unilaterally. It can't be done just with U.S. force um, because we're not the world police. And if we are the world police, we're Alonzo from Training Day, which for those of you who watch that movie, you'll know what that reference means. It means we're the massively corrupt police officer who ends up being a wanton criminal. And so, I mean, it's the easiest burn in the world, but it was a good burn. And she's 100% right. And um, like I said, either don't make a report and mind our business, or if you make a report, also harshly criticize your own government and make changes to improve it. Get rid of the illegal NSA spying. Stop with the torture at Guantanamo Bay. Make sure you prosecute people who did the torture. Go after Bush. Go after Cheney for the illegal and offensive war in Iraq. If we were to do those things, we might actually have some moral credibility, you know, but we're not gonna, so we don't, and we'll keep pretending like our word is still worth anything internationally when it's not. All right, guys, so this is uh, quite a story here. This is in Yahoo News. White Mississippi meteorologist off air after saying, fashizzle my nizzle. Okay, so her name is Barbie Bassett. That sounds like a totally fake name, by the way. It's either a fake name or a porn star name. It's always one or the other. Uh, A news anchor for WLBT in Mississippi is facing trouble after quoting a famous Snoop Dogg phrase on live TV. The controversial moment occurred earlier in March when Bassett was discussing Snoop Dogg's latest business venture with her co-anchors. The Clarion Ledger reported the post-white Mississippi meteorologist off-air after saying Foshizzle Manizzle appeared first on Blavity. As the anchors were talking among each other toward the end of the news segment, one of Bassett's colleagues jokingly suggested for another one of their co-workers who was off ca- camera to partner with Snoop Dogg in business. Quote, before we know, know it, she will have Snoop, a Snoop Dogg tattoo on her shoulder, he said. Bassett then followed up with the Snoop Dogg phrase, which is considered to be a racial epithet for black people. Foshizzle Manizzle... Bassett said in a follow-up to her colleague's comment, WLBT hasn't clarified what happened to Bassett, who hasn't been seen on TV since that moment. The longtime anchor's bio has also been removed from the WLBT website. Social media users are especially amused with the reaction of one of Bassett's co-anchors, who was visibly uncomfortable when his colleague dropped the Snoop Dogg phrase. Okay, so let's watch this here. I'm up with. I think that'd be pretty cool. Before we know it, she'd have a Snoop Dogg tattoo on her shoulder. A shizzle, my nizzle. <laughs> I'm telling you. Julie, what do you think about that? Huh. Huh, she says. <laughs> well, get this. Okay, 
So now this time, I was just watching these th- these guys here. Now keep your eye on this guy. You can see the picture, like the picture here. He knows. <laughs> he knows. He knows that the hammer's about to drop. All right, one more time. I'm up with. I think that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Well, we know it. She'd have a Snoop Dogg tattoo on her shoulder. A shizzle, my nizzle. <laughs> I'm telling you. Julie, what do you think about that? Huh. Huh, she says. <laughs> <laughs> well, get this. Yeah, he's got the face on like, oh, my God, there's going to be there's going to be repercussions for this. To be fair, I don't know if he's making that face because he's like, how dare you say that? Or he's making that face because he's like, ooh, this is uncomfortable and it's not going to end well. Um, <laughs> Look at this tweet. My boy said the ship gun sink going to sink, but I won't be on it. Got some more replies. The reporter on the right is sending me. According to the Daily Mail, Bassett is also Bassett also faced trouble in October for using the word grandmammy, a term slaves use slaves use for their grandmothers while speaking with a black reporter on air. The anchor issued an apology at the time. Though not intentional, I now understand how my comment was both insensitive and hurtful. I have apologized to Carmen Poe, she said at the time. Now I would like to apologize to you. That is not that is not the heart of who I am, and for that I humbly ask for your forgiveness, and I apologize to everyone I have offended. I will learn from this and participate in training so I can better understand our history and our people. Um, apparently the training didn't uh, prep her for, for this moment when bringing up Snoop Dogg. Look, it, my honest take, I would love for Snoop, Snoop Dogg's take on this. I am super curious what Snoop Dogg would say. <laughs> I would love to know Snoop Dogg's perspective on this. Because look, from my perspective, I care most about intent, right? Like, intent is the biggest thing. And so, if somebody's trying to be hurtful, if they're purposefully trying um, to be over the top and to make people uncomfortable and to, like, press buttons in the wrong way, that's a different story. Then you look at that and you go, it doesn't need, you know, the specific words might not even matter in a situation like that. The intent itself could be a, a bigger faux pas, a bigger issue, you know, crossing a, a clear line. But with this, I mean, this is just like an old white lady who, who doesn't know what to say or how to act or what's socially acceptable, you know? And I don't think she meant any harm by it. So I'm definitely inclined to, to give her a pass. And I just feel like this is the opposite perspective is the more common perspective that you see now. You know, any anything that's like politically incorrect or crosses a line that people might not even know is there, it's just drop the hammer immediately. And it almost feels like um, management is just worried about the backlash, even though perhaps there wasn't a big backlash or even a backlash at all. Like, I don't know if there was, I haven't seen any articles that indicate that, you know, people were calling in mad or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's almost like, and this happens all the time with corporations. They will, they just want to protect their brand. They just want to protect that ad money from flowing in. So just sensing that there could be some negative backlash, they're just like, let's just get ahead of this and ax this person right up front. And, you know, I think you're going to see more and more of this moving forward because corporations are scared of their own shadow. By the way, they will pay their their executives exorbitant amounts of money that they don't deserve, that they didn't earn. They will ruthlessly screw their workers. They will dodge taxes. They will do every immoral, unethical, and potentially illegal thing under the sun when it comes to their bottom line and profits. Um, But 
the way that they virtue signal to try to act like, bro, we're one of the good corporations, is to fire people over minor transgressions that she probably didn't even realize was a transgression, right? So this is the way they go, bro, we're down for the struggle. We're cool. We're hip. We're with it. You know, we're all about like liberation and stuff. Anyway, did you put that extra million dollars in the offshore tax haven yet? You did? Okay, good. Yeah, no, nah, we're, uh, I mean, Black Lives Matter and stuff, bro. You know, Black Lives Matter. I'm all, I'm all for the LGBTQ alliance and stuff, bro. This is what they do. This is what they do. There's something that's so shameless about it. It's such a virtue signal show. You know what I mean? So it's, it's obnoxious. Um, I'd be interested to know, number one, what Snoop Dogg's take is. Number two, whether or not there actually was a backlash. Because my, I'm just taking a guess here, stab in the dark. My guess is Snoop Dogg would say, don't fire her. And my guess is there wasn't much of a backlash. This is just a corporation scared of its own shadow, doesn't want to offend anybody, so it can still act quietly in the dark, making money as much as humanly possible. That's my guess. That's my guess. We got a new conspiracy theory that just dropped, y'all. Brand new conspiracy theory. Uh, and this one is a fun one. Okay, so Cat Turd 2, who Trump loves because he, he uh, cited a Cat Turd 2 Twitter poll like it was a real poll in his rally in Waco, Texas. He said, I was at 69, 69%, and Ron DeSanctimonious was all the way down at like 18 or 19%. Tremendous poll. Unbelievable. But anyway, so this guy, Cat Turd 2, big in right-wing circles, he tweets the following. It's a miracle. In only three weeks, John Fetterman got a total head replacement. Man, he has some good doctors. And so you could see the difference in the pictures there. In this one, he looks a certain way. In this one right here, he definitely looks different. Now, look, I don't think you'll find anybody who who will tell you, no, these pictures look identical. Of course they don't look identical. They definitely look different. There's no doubt about it. You can tell there are differences. Now, their takeaway from this is there's a fake John Fetterman. There's a John Fetterman body double. Um, I don't know if they think the original Fetterman died, if he's still in the hospital for depression. I don't know exactly the specifics of what their conspiracy theory is. I don't even know if they know the specifics. But the point is, there are two Fettermans. This is not the original Fetterman, and their evidence is, look at this picture. Now, What's the problem with, I mean, you already know what the problem with it is, right? But you want like irrefutable proof that they're wrong? Very simple. Please learn about focal lengths of camera lenses and how they impact photos of people. I'm begging you, begging. And then you can see here what different cameras with different focal lengths will do to somebody. So look on the left, first picture, look on the right. These people look different. The shape of the head looks totally different. As a result of the different camera, um, there are many differences now from picture to picture. Look at this person, look at this person. It's the same person, but it looks very different because you have a 16 millimeter camera and a 200 millimeter camera. Here, look at this one. This guy does not even look like the same guy because in one picture, he's smiling and he's got one camera. In this one, he's not smiling and he has a different camera. It makes you look like a different person. It makes you look like a different, even cameras that aren't that far apart make you look like a different person. By the way, another big impact 
is lighting and angles. I know this because of the show, right? If you put the camera angle, like let's say it's even with my mouth, I will look fatter. My face will look wider. I will look fatter. You'll see like a little bit of a double chin type deal going on because that angle makes you look like that. Certain lighting makes you look a certain way, right? If if you take a camera, like do this with your iPhone, hold it this way and then hold it up this way, you're going to look different. One of them, you look skinnier. It's just, it's just because of the camera, it's because of the angling, it's because of the lighting. There's massive, massive differences. Um, somebody responded to that picture, by the way, and said, please learn about human cloning. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. So now knowing this, what I just showed you, okay, how colossally different people can look based on the camera, based on the angle, based on smiling versus not smiling, etc. Let's go back to the Fetterman picture. Look at that. That's definitely the same guy. That's definitely the same guy. 100%. This one, his face looks wider, his ears look bigger, his face looks skinnier, his ears look smaller because of the different camera. But the nose is exactly the same too in both pictures. The nose which points slightly off to one direction more than the other. Smiling in this picture, not a full smile in this one, like a teethy smile here, not a teethy smile here. I mean, this is, why are we even talking about this, man? Why are we even talking about this, man? But this is like... Guys, this is like a thought leader on the right now. This cat turd guy, he's like a thought leader on the right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a terrifying thought because they don't spend their time thinking about working people and higher wages and healthcare for everybody and unions and tax policy and foreign policy. They don't think about any of that. This is the stuff they think about. I hate the libs. I want to own the libs. The libs are evil. And so I'm just going to spend all day cooking up silly ass conspiracy theories that I don't even know the specifics of my own conspiracy theory. Seems like a waste of time to me. All right, guys. So this story here is really interesting because there's actually a debate as to what really went on. Okay. So here we have Emmanuel Macron. Now, right now, Paris is on fire, dog. I mean, it is, it's popping off over there. Why? Because Macron raised their retirement age from 62 to 64, and workers said, hell no, we're not going to let you do that. They took to the streets. The garbage workers protested, so garbage is piling up everywhere. People started setting stuff on fire. There were millions of people in the streets when you count up all the different days. It's basically like a general strike going on. It is, they're fighting men. They are fighting back hard. So, In the midst of all this, Macron is going around trying to make his case, trying to say, hey, we got to raise the retirement age. I don't want to do it, but I have to do a type deal. That's the stuff he's saying. So he gives an interview. Now, this tweet uh, did misstate the facts here. So in this tweet, they say Macron, while asking for sacrifices from the French people, realizes he's wearing a 30,000 euro watch and like a magician makes it disappear under the table unworthy. Now, the fact check goes on to say here, the watch is a variation of the Bell & Ross V192 Blue Steel, which typically sells for 2,400 euros. So it's not nearly as expensive as they were saying it is. However, it is, I mean, that's still kind of an expensive watch, right? That's still kind of an expensive watch. Okay. Uh, So now we're going to watch it, and I'm going to tell you what Macron's team is claiming and what others are claiming. So let's watch it, and then we can discuss. So watch, watch there, no watch on, on 
Il y a les blocages et les blocages. Il faut... Let me just do that one more time. Note on the left you see the watch. On the right you're going to see there's no watch. So they took this is the before and after, and you can see he definitely took the watch off. Ready? Euh, il y a les blocages et les blocages, mais il faut pouvoir les lever quand ils empêchent l'activité normale. Et c'est pourquoi, d'ailleurs, j'ai demandé, pour demandé au gouvernement d'essayer au maximum bah, de négocier et ensuite de réquisitionner. Ce que nous avons pu faire euh, sur les ordures ménagères, par exemple, euh, dans certaines grandes villes. Ok, so, now here's what Macron's team says. Macron's team says the... Um The watch, for whatever reason, with the microphone, it was making a loud noise when he would, like, move his hands and put his hands on the table or whatever, that it was tapping the table and making a loud noise. And so Macron heard that, and he said, I'm going to take it. He was like, I'll take it off because it's making a loud noise, and it's annoying. I'm going to take it off because of that. That's what they claim. That's what his team is claiming. Um, of course, everybody else is claiming. He's telling people you have to make sacrifices. He's telling working French people you have to make sacrifices. And he realizes, I got this expensive-ass watch on. Maybe I should hide this because, you know, what sacrifices am I making, for example, right? And so I'll play it one more time here. See if you could hear any of the taps. So he has the watch here, doesn't have the watch here. We're analyzing this like the Zapruder film. Euh, il y a les blocages et les blocages, mais il faut pouvoir les lever quand ils empêchent l'activité normale. Et c'est pourquoi, d'ailleurs, j'ai demandé, pour demandé au gouvernement d'essayer au maximum bah, de négocier et ensuite de réquisitionner. Ce que nous avons pu faire euh, sur les ordures ménagères, par exemple, euh, dans certaines grandes villes. Ok. So, my inclination is to kind of agree with the Twitter narrative. Like, I do think, as he's calling for sacrifices, he realizes he has an expensive watch on, and he's like, I should probably, let me just, like, hide this a little bit, because it's kind of embarrassing. It's massively hypocritical, right? So I kind of agree with the Twitter narrative. I talked to Crystal about it, and Crystal ha actually had the opposite perspective. She said, I buy it that it was making noise on the table, and he took it off. Um, now, I think evidence for her perspective is you actually can hear the sound the watch makes when you hit the table, right? Like you can hear it at the very beginning of the clip. When you, once you start hearing him talk, you hear the, the like that sort of a sound. Um, that's some evidence for her perspective. And the other thing, which I couldn't gain from this video and I haven't seen the longer video is like, he may take it off and actually put it on the table. And if he takes it off and puts it on the table, then there are definitely camera angles that they show where you could see the watch So it, it wouldn't be like he's trying to hide it in that in that uh, conception of things. Again, I haven't seen the longer video, so I don't know for sure if he puts it on the table and you can see it from the other perspectives. But look, if he does put it on the table, then it's possible that it was just the sound and he just took it off because he knew that was annoying. That's possible. And the other point uh, Crystal makes is his suit probably costs way more than 2,400 uh, euros. His suit probably does. Um, so, you know, is he gonna hide his suit? But then again, you can't see the label on the suit. You don't know. The watch, it might be easier to, like, figure out what kind of watch it is. And anyway, I don't know, man. I still kind of lean on the side of he realized how hypocritical it is. Even with a 2,400-pound watch, I mean, a pound, euro, I think it's euros. I don't know. I, th I mean, I think, what, 95% of people probably don't have a watch that's that expensive, and he realizes, like, this might look hypocritical. Let me take this off. I mean, ultimately, look, at the end of the day, 
the important part is this. I think what he's calling for is unreasonable. I, I don't, I think it's a terrible idea. I don't think you should be raising the retirement age. Um, you know, we're already talking, 62 years old is already pretty old. You know, and our retirement age, by the way, is higher. And you all know that, 65, 67. Um, so I think what he's asking for is unreasonable anyway. And so just the optics of this are bad. Even if it was the more benign interpretation of it, that it was making an annoying sound, he took it off. But I mean, evidence for the perspective that he was kind of trying to hide it, the watch is that he took it off under the table, right? He did like he did it under the table. Whereas, you know, if you really weren't trying to hide anything, I'm wearing a watch right now, right? You, you could just go, you could just do that. Like if I do it while I'm talking, let's see. If I'm talking to you about whatever, and then I'm trying to take the watch off, yeah, I would probably just do that, which with this camera angle, you can't see, but I am above the table for sure. Like I'm like right here, which is above the table. So from his angle, you probably would see it if he really wasn't trying to hide it. I don't know. Look, I'll leave it up to you guys. Curious what you guys think. Crystal is on the team of, no, I buy it, that it was making a noise and he took it off. That's why. Uh, Twitter's definitely on the side of... um. No, he's trying to hide his expensive watch. But I will say that theory does become a little less plausible once you get the dollar figure from 80,000 euros to 2,400. Because 2,400 is still an expensive watch, but it's just way, way less than 80,000, right? So I don't know. I'll leave it up to you guys. I'm kind of agnostic, but I still lean a little bit more on the side of Twitter's right that he was kind of trying to hide it because he's asking for sacrifices while he's wearing an expensive watch. And he just, he is the epitome of a like a centrist elitist. He's the 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 platonic ideal of a centrist elitist come to life. And this fits that role perfectly. All right, guys, that's the show. I love y'all very much. Thank you, as always, for uh, listening. By the way, we hit that million subs number, baby. Thank you all. We did a live stream celebrating that. I really appreciate it. We took some super chats. Thank you to everybody who sent in those super chats. I love you guys to death. Um, let's see if we can get it up, man. 1,000 and... 1,000,005,000. Let's go for that. Let's get 1,005,000 subs. So click that like button, click that subscribe button, click that bell uh, so you get a notification every single time a video drops. And remember, guys, you could always listen to the full uh, show on Spotify, the audio version of the podcast. We drop that every day that we have a show. So definitely um, check that out as well. And much love to everybody who supports the show on Patreon and supports Crystal Kyle and friends on Substack. Um, you can support through the links below send two bucks a month or five bucks a month through Patreon. Really appreciate it. It goes a long way. Never had a conversation with an advertiser, never will because you guys fund this show from the bottom up. So uh, link for Patreon is below. Link for Crystal Kyle and Friends on Substack is below. Love you guys very much. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody have a great one.